So welcome to our preaching session. I'm just making a face at Debs. Okay. Um, I really want to thank you for, for coming, and I don't take lightly this time. Look, it's free time in the afternoon. I, I think everybody should go to a breakout. Um, if I wasn't teaching this one, I would be at another one. Um, these times are about equipping, like Leo preached. Look, everything that God has designed uh, about the church is to have it be matured, have it be equipped, have it be raised up. So while we're here, let's do it. You know, This is the point of gathering uh, in times like this. So um, I'm super honored and humbled that you would give me an hour of your time. Uh, really, I'm hoping that uh, you only give me like half an hour of your time and then we discuss. <laughs> um, that's, that's kind of more what I, what I would like. But I want to commend you for, for coming here to this session. Um, I'm trusting that part of why you're here is because um, you want to preach and teach the word of God well. And that that matters to you. That it's whether, whether it's something you already do and you, you are interested in doing it more or maybe even better. Or it's something you have an idea of doing. Um, I just want to commend you because God wants us to handle his word well. He wants us to. And we need to start with that. This, the point of the session is not you get good ideas from me or hopefully get good at it. The point of the session is God wants us to handle his word well. Uh, he wants us to handle his word to every people, to every culture uh, in a way that says Jesus is everything. So come know him. That's the point. Uh, so I am not a guru. I am not an expert. Um, I, I, in fact, probably what I have the most of in my hip pocket is mistakes that I've made over almost 25 years of, of, of teaching and, and preaching from the word. And it's those things that have kind of brought me to this place where I want to share just a few things today. The, uh, the reality is we have a fast hour. Uh, we could do an entire weekend, an entire week's worth of conference on what it means to preach God's word well and, and connect with others. But we have just this time. So what I'm hoping for is to leave some things with you that you can take away Break them open before the Lord with each other, with your eldership, in whatever context. And there's multiple contexts and churches represented here. Whatever you can go back to and be equipped to kind of crack that open with and work through, that's what I'm trusting for. Um, so let's, let's start off with just a couple of assumptions that I'm going to make about you if you're sitting in this session. Um, if any of them are wrong, I hope, you, I hope you get these things true real quick, like in the next few minutes, because I'm going to assume them of you <laughs> going forward. If you're here, I assume that you care about studying the Bible and that you believe in its authoritative place in our lives, that it's inerrant, that it's God's word, that it is what God declares it to be. I'm going to assume that about you, that you have a value placed on studying God's word. If you're here, I assume that you care about constantly deepening your intimacy with God. That I like to say there is no Christianity 201. It's Christianity 101. All the time, no one ever graduates past uh, needing to deepen their intimacy with God. Uh, no one who preached up front today has any more right to the throne room of God than you do. We need to dispel the nonsense. God's word is for everyone, to be handled by everyone. And yes, God has gifted some to preach, teach, yes. However, they are not the doorway to God's word. Does that make sense? So I am, I, if you're here, I'm assuming that you have a view of intimacy with God that says, yes, amen, all the time, more Lord going forward, okay? I'm also gonna assume about you that you value God's voice and you want to obey it. That you value God's voice and you wanna obey it because as you study God's word and prepare to preach and even in the act of preaching, sometimes in the moment of preaching, God speaks. And what I'm gonna assume about you is that that means for you, you want to say yes, even if we do it imperfectly, even if we have to grow in it, that's your posture is, yes, Lord, when you speak, I'm going. That's what I assume about you. Uh, I'm also going to assume about you that you believe that the gospel is for everyone, all the time, everywhere, no exceptions. No one, no one is disqualified from needing the gospel. No one. And then lastly, I'm going to assume about you that you know that power comes not from our preparation, although it's necessary. Power comes not from our structure and our words and our delivery, although those things are great and we will talk about them. Power comes from the anointing of God, only by his, power, by his anointing and power. 
So those are the, some things that I assume about you. Like I said, I, don't, I hope they're not way out there and beyond anybody. If you don't agree with any of those things, I hope you agree with them quickly because we're going to move on. Like I said, it's impossible to just take an hour and talk about revolutionizing our preaching and make it more culturally relevant or this or that or whatever those words even mean. Um, but I hope you can take today what's helpful, leave what's not, break it open further, and grow in confidence and passion in rightfully handling the word of God and rightfully conveying it to others. So I have thought of five things. I've narrowed down everything I can to five things that I, I think would be valuable, that if I was sitting where you are, I, I would find them valuable to take away in terms of preaching and teaching uh, in a Jesus-centered, biblically, it, it, with biblical integrity, to speak to culture, to, to tell the truth. Because you know what? When you stand up in front of people, I am convinced more now than I ever am. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. It's not a slogan. It's not a bumper sticker. Tell the truth. We know the truth. If one plus one is two, it can't be three. Tell the truth. So firstly, in your preaching, in your teaching, number one, for your consideration, I submit to you for your consideration. It's not like the Oscars. Remember this. Every choice you make, number one, every choice you make will either invite or distract your hearers. Every choice you make will either invite or distract your hearers. I know we're jumping in and we're getting practical right away, but like I said, there's no fluff time. I like fluff time, but we don't have any fluff time. Every choice you make as a preacher will either invite or distract your hearers. I want you to imagine a line and on one side is full invitation and on the other side is full distraction. Every choice you make falls somewhere on that line. It can't fall off of that line. So Every choice you make about how you structure what you say, uh, the words you use, the tone you use, an illustration you use, an example, your timing, what you wear, if I could be so bold. Not to be legalistic, but if I'm up here in a bathing suit and a tank top, that's a choice. And it's falling somewhere on the line of inviting you or distracting you. Don't think anything falls off of that line. Because when we have that perspective, then we can be more intentional with our hearers in mind. It changes the weight of how I choose what I choose to say and how I choose to present it. You've all heard people speak where you've been distracted the entire time. And I'm surprised you can even remember those times because you don't remember a thing they said. You just remember you were distracted. And it can be by anything. It can be by an example or something that... Uh, they say that turns you off that was just kind of lazy, uh, that they never go back and correct or get back to or it's just off topic or even uh, they're, they're preaching in flip flops and a tank top. And you know what? Your church isn't on the beach. It, it, it can be anything. Different contexts will change where that line falls or where things fall on that line. But make no mistake. Every choice you make will either distract or invite your, your, your listeners. So when you can. Know your audience when you can. I understand you won't always. Like right now, I don't know this audience 100%, but I did tell you what I assume about you. And I'm at least giving you a foundation to know this is what I think about you. And if you disagree with that, there are two doors to this room and you can go out either one. <laughs> but, but, we're, but we're getting on the, same, the sameness of things. We're breathing the same air. And so I'm hoping my choices going forward are going to more invite you than distract you, if that makes sense. So you adjust you to accommodate them, not you adjust truth to accommodate them. You adjust you to accommodate them. You meet them where they are and you ask yourself constantly, especially in your preparation, especially in your structure, because I know we all prepared in different ways. Some of us like to read a manuscript. Some of us put chicken scratch on paper and just hope we say the right thing. Um, I'm more towards the second one, but especially in your preparation, you're always considering what, how does this register to my hearer? And does it ultimately, ultimately invite them or does it distract them? Because we can preach truth and we can distract people from it or we can invite them to it. And the heart of God is that they be invited to it. Yes. So number one, every choice you make will either invite 
or distract your hearers. Jesus is attractive. God's word is attractive. Let's let it be inviting in our choices. Number two, win people, not arguments. Win people, not arguments. Here's what I mean by that. I don't know if you have um, ever been on something called the internet, but people disagree with you. They do. They hate you. You know why? Because in our culture, we have reduced love to agreement. If you agree, if you love me, Nathan, you, you agree with me. You approve of me. You, um, you support me. That's what love is. Sheesh, man, I must hate my wife every day when we disagree. <laughs> I hate my kids. I mean, no, because disagreement or disapproval is hate. Now, we have a choice. We can get in the mire of that. And we can center our preaching around backhanded comments about, or maybe even, maybe even front-handed comments about our politics, our opinions, our social thoughts, maybe what cable news channel we prefer. And how tragic if someone comes away from your teaching with that being the primary thing that they take away. Instead of the primary thing they take away being the gospel being whatever the passage you're in or whatever, the, whatever you're teaching, being the primary thing. I'm not saying we don't address those things. I'm saying the way in which we do it can sometimes be argument winning. And I know in my life, I've won a ton of arguments, but I have lost a lot of people in the process. Do you guys catch what I'm saying with the difference? This is a how thing as much as it is a what thing. I'm not saying we don't address things. I'm not saying there aren't things that are contentious and we'll get to offending in just a minute because you will. But if I'm offending, I want it to mean something. You may have a thought about January 6th or mask mandates or any other thing. And you got to ask how worth it in this moment for me to slide this in for my not saying avoid it, but but. But, but use it as a structural pillar for what I'm placing the gospel on top of. How worth it is that in that moment? And who am I losing in, in the argument I'm quote-unquote winning? Does that make sense? So you will have to offend sometimes, no doubt, but not for those things. <laughs> not for those things. Jesus is offensive. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Greek word for that is scandalon. It's a stone that either it's big enough to be a cornerstone or it's big enough to make you stumble. It does one of the two things. We will offend, but Jesus doesn't offend because of our weaponized frivolity. He offends because he claims to be God. That's right. Sheesh, I don't want to offend for weaponized frivolity. The world already thinks like this. You ready? You got your phone. This is how the world thinks. Oh, wow. She got a new bathing suit. Oh, they, they went to a Cubs game. There was an earthquake in Afghanistan. <clears throat> Oh, there was a school shooting that killed 19 people. <gasps> they got married. That's how the world thinks. Celebrating those things and getting into those things, that buys you a minute of argument winning. But it can lose you an entire person. So don't center on those things. Does that make sense? Yeah. just got really weird in here, so yeah. I'm just making sure you guys are here. Okay, perfect. All right. Win people, not arguments. Win people, not arguments. Number three, preach with the lost in mind. Hopefully this isn't shocking you, but preach with the lost in mind. A lot of times when we preach, we're preaching in, our, in a church context or maybe a connect group context. Or, or, and, and in general, most of the time, there's believers in the room, right? And because we're comfortable with Scripture and we kind of know them and their comfort level with Scripture, we kind of like bip and bop between uh, biblical illustrations and like referencing Jesus over here and then referencing David and Samuel over here. And, then, and we just kind of like zoom, zoom, zoom. But think about it. No good teacher in your life has ever done that with things that you weren't familiar with yet. Your, your biology teacher wasn't talking about the this and this and this. No, he or she had to start with this is a body. It has systems. And the system we're talking about. And you get more specific because from a biological class standpoint, you were lost. <laughs> you, were, you were a quote-unquote unbeliever. You had to be taught. 
So when, we, when we're preaching, we need to build in the habit. We need to build in the muscle of explaining, of illustrating, of giving context, of setting things up. And let me tell you this. Let's say, for example, you're, uh, you're preaching on, let's say, for example, you're preaching on Passover out of Exodus. And there's a whole bunch of stuff. Right instantly, you're going, oh, I get Passover lamb and the blood on the door and the history. You're thinking Jesus right away, like bang, Old and New Testament. Because I know you, I can smell it, that's your preachers. But here's the thing. The lost person in the room, they haven't read the New Testament. They don't know what, <laughs> you, you, you can't just go bang, bang like ping pong. You have to take time. You have to be foundational. You have to build in extra minutes and you have to explain and get there. And I know this might seem elementary, but we don't do it a lot. We don't do it a lot. And the thing is, no believer who knows the Bible is ever going to be offended by you taking extra time to explain context of the Bible. Does that make sense? You're not setting any believer back. But if you don't do it, the lost are lost in your preaching. Someone had to take painstaking time with you, patient time with you, to allow you, under their teaching and other people's teaching, to come into a further knowledge of Jesus, to begin to connect that, oh my gosh, the whole law and prophets point to Jesus. And oh my goodness, all of the spirit of prophecy is, is Jesus. And, and, and like all of these things that connect for you, someone had to take time to allow that to happen. It's okay to preach to seminary professors, and sometimes you might be. We just shouldn't assume that in the room. Does that make sense? We need to preach with the lost in mind. We say we want the lost in our churches. We got to preach like they are there. And there will be some context where you know everybody in the room, and obviously that changes things because then you know your audience and you're making choices to invite or distract. But in general, if you don't know everybody in the room, preach like the lost are there. It's never going to hurt a believer to be preached at like the gospel is important and the lost are in the room. Just say Number four. You guys okay? Number four. Observe. Observe your culture. Observe your culture and communicate to it. Observe your culture and communicate to it. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens. I almost called him the Apostle Paul, but after today's session, she's, that's illegal. <laughs> Paul is in Athens, and he's desiring to share the gospel, and he's done his typical approach. He's been in the synagogue, and, he's, and then he sees, uh, he's, he's, he's reasoning and debating with some of the prominent philosophers of the age, and he gets taken to the Areopagus, to Mars Hill, and he sees the, the, the temple, the, the, the monument to the unknown God. And, he's, and Paul is learning things about this culture. Paul was not a Greek, but he's, but he's becoming in this culture more attuned and hip to what's going on. And then he uses and references, and I'm not saying take everything in the culture and make it an illustration. I'm just saying um, we need to observe our culture and then understand what we're speaking into because it will have an effect on our phrasing. It'll have an effect on our approach. It'll have an effect on our tone. It'll have an effect on our ability to understand that our hearers get that we're a part of the same culture as them or have an understanding with it. Here's, here's why that's important. You know, God actually created us to be culture makers. We are, God, you can't say be fruitful and multiply without and, go, and have dominion over the whole earth. That, that is a culture creating mandate. And we see it everywhere. Different cultures are, are created. But also, Ecclesiastes 3 reminds us that the eternity is in all of our hearts. The, no, the, the knowledge of our need for God is deep within everybody, whether they deny it or not. So every expression of culture is the need, the need of and the action of doing that is God-breathed, but our sin perverts it, which means we still need the gospel but you and I as preachers can recognize culture. We can read it back to people. And what that does is it says, hey, Tyler, I recognize you. And recognition brings trust. Yeah. Recognition brings trust. When I, my, my son is five. My youngest son is five. So I don't do this that much anymore because he's a freaking beast. 
But I used to come behind all my kids and just yank them up. They didn't know who it was, but they recognized the hands that were holding them up. And because they recognized those hands, they trusted what was going on. If you don't recognize the hands that are yanking you up, my kids would be like, what's going on? Stop. Recognition builds trust. So when people are hearing you and they get a sense from you that you breathe the same air that they do, that you have a cultural presence that is similar to theirs that builds trust. Does that make sense? Yeah. It builds trust. So it, it, people are comforted when you can relay culture back to them. And honestly, what I'm talking about is, is not just a preaching and teaching thing. I mean, it is, like, I trained as an actor. This is, this is the basis for like comedy and poignancy and, and trust. Uh, comedy essentially is observing something and just telling people that you observe the same thing. And they're like, oh my gosh, you saw that too. That's amazing. They do do that. Oh my gosh. Like, like when someone tells a husband joke or whatever and all the wives are like, yes. It's not that the person thought of that. It's just they observed it. And so have you. It's just they said it. So observe your culture and ask the question, how, how, how am I preaching? You don't have to force it. But when there's opportunity, relay it back because culture building is a God-ordained privilege we have. And God will bless the fact that we are acknowledging it and desiring for it to be redeemed. And as the preacher, you're the tip of the spear for that in people's lives a lot. Last one, and then we're going to um, just kind of open it up for any discussion. Fifth, let the Bible, let the Bible do the heavy lifting. Let the Bible do the heavy lifting. If you took the preaching course at Anthem years ago, this, you know that's, that's my big thing. It's not what we say that's important. It's what God says that's important. I know we know this, but here's what I mean. God says hard things. God says hard things. There's no way around it. We've already talked about how you are going to offend. If, you're, if you find yourself preaching and you're not, you're not really offending people ever, you missed it. Because I get offended by what God says to me. Because I have to bow the knee to him. And I have to humble myself. And I have to say that he is Lord. And sometimes even, even after, you know, 35 years of following him, that's offensive to me. Someone hearing it for the first time, that's super offensive. Especially most of us, I think, are in American context. You don't, you don't tell somebody you have to follow somebody else. Don't bring that nonsense. But the Bible can do the heavy lifting for you. I don't want to come away from a sermon going, Logan says this. I want to come away from Logan's sermon knowing the Bible says this. And there is a difference. When we rely on the word to say what the word says, we let it do the heavy lifting. It's not Connor's word that God says won't return void. It's his word. Won't return void. So what do I mean by this practically? I mean put as much scripture where your mouth is as you possibly can. If scripture has an opportunity, if, if, if scripture actually says it, let the scripture say it, read it, actually say what the Bible says. There are times where we need to paraphrase what the Bible says or reference quickly what we've already talked about the Bible having said because we need it for context while we're talking about something else. That's just part of speaking well, and we do that in conversation all the time. But when, when you're setting the crux of things, let the Bible do it. Let the Bible do it. God said, let there be, there we go. <laughs> so we need, to, we need to be okay with the fact that the Bible says hard things. The Bible says hard, hard things. Let it, but let it. Does that make sense? Don't adjust it or soften it, but simply and thoughtfully deliver it with these other things in play as well, with invitation with a heart to win people, not arguments, with an idea that the lost are in the room, with an idea that I breathe the cultural air that you breathe. I'm here with you. I'm not, I'm not super foreign bringing a super foreign Jesus. No, I'm, I, I got up this morning like you did and need him like you need him. That's five things that I think that to me, to this day, remain instrumental when I, when I prepare and when I, when I, give any kind of preaching. 
Uh, they, I just have found them to be foundational. I don't step off of them. Uh, again, I'm not going to hold to them with a gun to my head. I'll only hold to scripture. Um, but I hope that that's useful for you. And I would love, I know that's a little bit quick, but I, I really would like us to have some time to just chat, ask questions, discuss anything specifically that you struggle with or questions, happiness, anything, or any questions about what I just said as well. Really? Yeah, please. So, observing your culture, maybe lead to it. Question I have is what are some things not, that are not obvious? I mean, it's a common sports team, common traffic, common whatever. But what's something that you've, in your experience, that you've noticed, you're like, whoa, like, I never saw that, but that was like a not obvious thing that really resonated with people? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I guess, so this, I'm not going to cop out with this answer, but I think that the, the thing that I would say there is a lot of times what I find effective are current events, just current things that are in the psyche of, of the culture right now. And, they, and that's also the risk with that is that those are usually hot button things. Yeah. Like there's a group of nine individuals meeting in Washington, D.C. that are going to decide a lot of things in the coming days. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so that's an example of something that's out there that could be touched on, but, but touched on carefully. That's a current event example. But something going on in your city, like, I mean, I remember preaching when the Cubs were winning the World Series. It was like cherry picking. I mean, it was just like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> but it really boils down to, um, I think you guys can trust your, your observation. But where, where do you live? Oh, okay, great. Awesome. I mean, Duke and North Carolina. She, but like, yeah, you've got, you, you're there. You're a, you're a man of there. And you can trust that is more what I mean by, by that observe your culture. Like people will get, it's really a trust building. I'm a real person uh, illustrating thing to do, if that makes sense. But I find current events or just things that are in the zeitgeist, you know what I mean by that? Just the spirit of the age, like it's clearly in the air and like maybe a month from now it's not, but right now it is. Um, just to be attuned to that kind of thing. Yeah. I find that um, uh, Tim Keller, every time I've heard him talk, he's quoting the New York Times. Yeah, exactly. For that, so exactly. That's, that, that's an example. Yes. He's quoting something that New Yorkers yes. would know and read. And, that, yes. so. and if I wasn't available for this session, it wasn't going to be Tim, but we <laughs> Yes, that's a, that's a perfect example because in like, – I live in New York and Tim Keller the, – the, <laughs> the circle of influence of Tim Keller is that hyper-intellectual um, – and I'm not, I'm not downing that. I'm just saying like Tim Keller is well aware of who his – most of his listeners are and you better believe they read the New York Times. Mm-hmm. So that's a good example. Yeah, Tab. Since this is a preaching class, I'm assuming most people out there are in some sort of leadership – position where they're preaching to a group often or semi-regularly, either on an eldership team or leading the church. And for me, what I've found, too, that helps with um, creating that culture in our churches and being relatable is meals with people. So they actually get to know you. you it's go. the pastoral combined with the, the yeah. teaching and teaching. Because yeah. then when they have a relationship with you, they understand a little bit more where you're coming from and you understand where they're coming from. And then you can bridge that gap a little bit easier. Very good. Very good. Yeah. James, I'm going to buy two for one here. Um, when, well, one question is, when you talk about when people not arguments, and then I said, let the Bible do the happy thing, how do you go about uh, kind of more like secondary doctrines, like sharing that in a way where it is mm-hmm. true to what you believe, but in a way that is like won't distract you by the church, is one. Mm-hmm. Um, like, do you like, do you like practice that before mm-hmm. sharing what it is? Like, whether that's like gender roles mm-hmm. or, you like whatever it is, right? If you mm-hmm. happen to say, like, "Hey, I know this is something that people divide on," or you just share it, like, right on in, and like that's like my pinpointing question. But the high level question is like, how do we go about teaching that? And then two, do you have any tips in terms of like, uh, like sometimes I feel like I'm always like preaching content, and then I'll be like, "Okay, so what?" Like, mm-hmm. you know, how do I make this applicable? Mm-hmm. How is this going to apply to my nine to five job? How does this transform me? Like, just any advice on like how to like yes. to tie that part in. 
awesome. Um, no, no, it's good. Um, to your first, yeah. You all are wishing you're at Chanel's right now. No, um, to your first question, uh, really, really great question because um, obviously there are things that um, I don't want to call them, you know, primaries, and, and, but it's just like, look, some things are essential. Some things are we can disagree on, but understand that we still are common in our faith in Jesus. I'm not. I'm not going to argue with you if, over Jesus being the Son of God. I will have a conversation with you over our gifts and movements of the Spirit, uh, not expressed today. But we're, like that's a secondary thing. So what I, I, I personally, what I tend to do um, is I will preface it or at least reference it uh, because. I would hope that I'm not basing my entire sermon on that moment. Like it's, it's a tertiary moment that I need to use. I need the content of that to use to support something else. And I'm just going to admit that I'm doing that. And most people will follow that. A lot of times I'll do it through humor. That's, that's because I diffuse things through humor. I'm not saying you guys have to do it through humor. I'm a naturally goofy person. I'm super dry and sarcastic and I'm just not going to pretend I'm not. So like I'll say things like um, when we talk about the end times and clearly like you can feel like all the left behind people starting to perk up in the room. Like um, I'll just say, listen, um, I believe whatever you do on the end times and I think everybody's going when they think they're going. Like so I'm pre-trip. No, you know, but it just shows like that's not where I'm camping. But I but we need to acknowledge that that's a thing based upon the main focus of what we're talking about. So I think where you can. It, you, the worst thing that can happen as a teacher is for your hearers to think, oh man, he or she just referenced that, but they don't seem like they have a command over how controversial that might be. And they didn't even talk about that. Like I'm distracted now mm-hmm. going back to distraction. I think quickly referencing it. If it's not a part of your bigger point shows people, I know I'm aware, but I'm actually inviting you over here. Yes. Um, so you don't seem like oblivious but it's for another time or it's not for this, you know, um, as to your second question, just refresh me on your second question. Yeah. I want to, I want to, yeah, yes. Okay. Like, you know, to the average person that probably not a full time history, you know, but like, what does this mean? Who's mm-hmm. to the ground? Yeah. You know, like when you execute a scripture, like how do you bring in the application of that? Yeah. Um, so full disclosure, like I'm the worst or my, probably my biggest weakness is, this part of a sermon. Um, that, that's the, probably the wrong way to phrase it. It's not what gets me out of bed in the morning. Like I like teaching things. I like the action of us experiencing the same knowledge together and like really feel like to me, to me what, what happens when you're preaching is, is the exact same uh, importance like when someone's receiving a prophetic word and I think, I, think we, I think we get jazzed by that kind of thing but for me that happens when we preach. So, but then when it comes time to apply, and we do need to apply, I think, I think my biggest probably just point of encouragement would be when nothing is super jumping out, you know, um, I think starting your own life before the Lord, um, because you will be surprised God's faithfulness to speak to you in a way that actually applies to many who will hear you. Um, plus that is simply also a posture that Jesus told us to have. I mean, he says, if you, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And if all the scripture that the Holy spirit inspired points to Jesus, I mean, how right is it for us to, and when we feel like we're coming to the end of a sermon to sit and say, all right, Lord, before I tell Esther what to do with this, what do I do with this? I mean, a lot of what God has done in my life has been through prepping for me to tell others what I think God's going to do in their life. Uh, but it's just a humble posture. And then I think it just comes with, with time. And I think it comes with feedback too. Um, it comes with counsel. It comes with asking other people, look, this is what I'm preaching on. And you'd be surprised in a moment how it resonates with, with them. They go, man, what I, what I feel from that is I need to X, Y, Z. Steve and I used to do that all the time. On Thursday or Friday, we sit in each other's office and be like, I'm ending here. What, what, do you, what do you think of that? And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I feel like I need to this, this, and this. And then he would steal it and preach it. And I'd never forget. <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> you know, but it, 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 I, I, think, I think don't, don't, don't jump far beyond you 
to the group when you can start with you. Because clearly that's where you're admitting God's working first. Does that make sense? Yeah. What else? Um, yes, please. For, for, for when we miss, when we're preaching and we miss, in the moment, you realize you're dist- you, in while preaching, you realize you've done the distraction. How do you handle that? And then the times when some, you realize after you're done, somebody tells you, like, you missed, this was a distraction. Yeah. How do you handle yeah. those two situations? How do you well, that? well, Griffin, that's never happened to me. So I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> not, not true. Um, I super appreciate your question, and there's a lot of humility in that question. And um, I would say in the moment, when you recognize something in the moment, um, let's, uh, Marcus is a great example this morning, preaching. A distracting thing, a distracting thing for some, maybe not for all. Um, there, Marcus realized something, and I, and I talked with him in the coffee session, so I'm not talking behind his back. He and I discussed it. Uh, Marcus realized something that maybe to some people was a real moment of, eh. and maybe to other people on the other end of the spectrum were laughing at seven things that they thought of that he didn't and everybody's in between. But in that moment, uh, Marcus addressed it with humility and he, he acknowledged it and maybe could have done it earlier, maybe could have, but, but addressed it. And I, I think in the moment when we can, that's always option a, even if it means, Pausing for a second, asking quick, asking the Lord. You know, that that and that's just not just a preaching or teaching thing. Sometimes when I talk with my wife, I'm like, babe, I'm sorry. That came out wrong. That's not what I meant, and I know you know that, but I need to acknowledge that that's the words that came out of my mouth, and I'm super sorry. It just changes the air in the room. So I think when you there's no As icky feeling as a mistake or missing it or misspeaking feels, worse is to go on having not acknowledged because then you know you're still carrying it. You're distracted. They're distracted. Nothing's happening. Um, so that's, that's option A. I think to your point about after the fact or if you, um, it's brought to your attention – then I, that differs to me based on the context of opportunity to, you know, if you're up every Sunday um, and you can kind of judge the severity of the miss, um, maybe it is as simple as getting up the next Sunday and saying, hey, listen, last week I said this. If, it, if you feel like it's something that can wait that long, um, some things can't. And they, they speak to the, to the fabric of your, of your congregation, of your church community and need to be addressed. I mean, at, when I was at Anthem, we would, we, and we would realize that uh, a few times we sent an email out to the church and we just said, listen, this was said today. Uh, we missed it. We're sorry. We reaffirm this. Is not, not, hey, we're cleaning up something socially. We reaffirm what God says. Uh, because social, social celebration will shift by the minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just not going to fight it. Uh, but the word of God is eternal. So, so I think whatever method is at your disposal in your context to do it well to the widest group, immediate is better. As soon as you know, it's better. In the same way, when you, if, like, if you and Colleen you know, have an no, argument. Yeah, I know. It never, just like I never misspeak when I preach. Um, like, festering doesn't help. And it just brings up doubt and starts, it's much better to just be like, you know what? I think part of, part of, sorry, just part yeah. of behind it is like, is then to, like, you never, you never quite know how, how far on the spectrum of distraction was it. And so it's like, if I bring it up again and yeah. we're just lingering in it, should yeah. I let, like, and it's always, it's always context. So yeah. I mean, like the answer, the answer is good, but it's, it's tough to know sometimes. Like, yeah. Should I say something about that? And that, so in the moment, that's really good because in the moment, you're, you're kind of the one person who's determining that uh, if, if you're catching it in the moment. Afterwards, I think this underscores the value of team around you for yeah, feedback. Um, there, there were times when, there were times when I would, you know, play my sermon back in my head and I'd be like, I can't believe I said that, whatever. And I would text Steve or, or Peck or Matt or some of the other, and they would just be like, what are you talking about, dude? That was, 
nope, that didn't land that way. And you're like, oh, okay. And then there were other times when they're actually the ones coming to me saying, um, what planet were you on when you said that sentence? And I'm like, oh, gracious. So team and feedback is super, super, super important. No one preaches on an island. Don't. If you preach on an island soon, it'll be a deserted island. <laughs> uh, does that make sense? Yeah. It's good. Did you, did I see your hand? I think I mean, it's so vague what we're talking about. Um, and I think as a preacher, you're always insecure in some, some degree. Yes. And so that battle of like, did I say this? It's, it's very, yeah. it's a minefield there, you know? And, and oftentimes, it's the one text, and then you think it's the whole church. Correct. Or it's the one person, and you think it's everybody. Correct. And so like, you know, um, but he kind of clarified yes. that a little bit. Because yes. I'm like, what are those words? Yeah. What does that even, like, what, are, what would that even practically look like? Yes. Um, with that. So that was, what was right. Yeah. Yeah. Not every Sunday needs to include an apology tour. I think when things, I think you know the difference between something that um, that maybe chafes or like cuts a little, which sometimes things need to, um, and the difference between man, a a person or people got wounded by that. That's the difference. Uh, like like the their value before God got undercut accidentally. And we need to go back and say, actually, that's not what we, you know. And that, I, that actually propels you forward with those people. I mean, for, forgiveness actually strengthens, it, repentance and forgiveness actually strengthen the bonds of church family going forward. So, yeah. What else? Um, a question I, I do a lot of the preaching at our church, and, and I'm often, I, I like the, Starting with illustration, personal examples, just something to kind of warm it up. Quite mm-hmm. often. I'm wondering, like, how much of my personal life do you share <laughs> week in and week out? And is there a line? Where is that yeah. line? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, do people care or, yeah. or does it endear you? Good question. Um, so. The, the, the short answer is everyone will have a different comfort level with that. I would give one, like my thought on that is I, I'm, I feel like just being wary of saying things that tend to always elevate you or make you seem like you're smooth sailing. Right? Like if anything, what, what endears people to you is actually self-deprecation because you have to remember they already elevate you. Just understand, the second you get up here, people elevate you. And you may think that's super weird. Like, I still think it's super weird, which is why I want to start, actually, I wanted to start by saying, I do not elevate me. I'm not a guru. I'm just simply <laughs> the guy they asked to do this. <laughs> <laughs> the last one to take a step back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, what? Shoot. I was on the phone. I was on the phone. What happened? What? No, no. But, um, but I, I think self-deprecation and, like, um, obviously not just know that once you share something it's out there but self-deprecating things that kind of like not knock you down a peg but but just illustrate to people like oh he's he, he bleeds red blood too like we're, that is endearing and then I think you know it's just kind of your personal threshold if you even for the freshness of your messages like if you're always starting with a thing from your you know People can get into that rut, too. But like one thing, my dad, who who still to this day preaches and pastors, he would ask me as his kid if he could use me as an illustration. Um, I mean, I always told him yes. My kids love Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. What's that? Do you pay your kids? No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really great question. I, I do. It's. I do think it's more of a personal threshold and just making sure you're not remembering people already elevate you. So it's nice to kind of pie yourself in the face every once in a while, not overdo it. What else? Yes, please. You mentioned, you know, observation of the culture and you use that, you know, you mentioned Acts 17, Paul was a master of that, right. know, obviously. But he didn't give up his Jewish culture to become a Greek to do right. that. He read the New York Times, so to speak. Right. So he used that, you know, but when he when he actually got into the gospel with that inroad, he offended people. Correct. Because he said some were offended, some will come again, some some believe, right? 
So where's the line there? I mean, have we swung to the point where we're so scared of the fence that we are just lost oriented? But you know, where where is that where is that balance? Yeah. In, in you know, our culture today, especially some of our churches might be in like progressive neighborhoods and we might be a little more conservative or whatever. Right. Where what what are what are some of those? Great question. Great question. Yeah, I mean, I would never, ever, ever advocate for shaving off the truth of Scripture to be less offensive. Um, I think what um, I think what I, what I find effective, you, you know, to your point about Paul, um, he took he he intentionally took steps to communicate to the people around them that he sees them, but he didn't trim in the gospel. So I think. Therefore, in our context, some, that, that intentional seeing of people takes different shapes. You know, that, that church that is in a super progressive neighborhood, for example, and, you know, understands the things that resonate with them. Um, I think there are things you can do then either in your tone or in your approach or even at, um, I don't like this word, but in your activities as a church that start to lay a foundation of you see them. Um, so that in your preaching, when that gospel offense comes, the, the worst offense is not gospel offense. The worst offense is gospel offense, and they feel like you don't even see them. Then, then, then you're just a shaking fist. You know, we're talking about being a voice in the desert, not a shaking fist. And a lot, a lot of, a lot of what social media, um, a lot of what our knee-jerk frivolity uh, produces is the shaking and we don't think that has an impact, but it does. Um, so some of what I'm talking about needs to be laid in, not just from up front. It needs to be laid in culturally as a church in the way you interact with people because that sets the flavor of the room from which then you're going to say the offensive thing that Jesus is the only way to God. Because you're right. You can't trim that, and we don't adjust that. Um, Right. He's like, exactly. Yeah, should be. Yeah. You know, well, these guys are super smart, but you're actually missing the point. Which also speaks to Paul knowing who he was with, because that they, they kind of played philosophical volleyball yeah. on each other. And Paul, you know, had a set and yeah. spiked it right down. He just kind of jabbed, because that's the culture of what's going on. Whereas, you know, to the Corinthians, Paul wouldn't tiptoe like that. He's just, you know, and the Galatians as well. You know. Thank you. Yeah, of course, of course. Couple more, couple more minutes. Anything else? Hope this has been helpful. Yeah. Do you, um, since this? No, please, please. What do you think about length on a given given Sunday? Length of sermon. Because we're all uh, speak as well as Mark Driscoll. Right. Right. Uh, no doubt attention spans are shorter than they used to be. I sound like old, get off my lawn. Like, uh, no doubt. I think a good, more so than a number, I think you can feel, even in your preparation, when you're, you're starting to outstrip the, the engagement of what you're saying. We've all heard people speak for an hour that felt like 20 minutes and conversely. What makes them feel that way is not the 20 minutes or an hour. What makes them feel that way is the natural engagement and necessity of the next thing you have to say. Um, So I'm, I, as, as much as I want to answer that question with a number in mind, like every service, you know, you're, we all are in different contexts. My church meets in our living room. And, uh, you know, right now in New York, and that is a different preaching threshold context than Anthem's auditorium. They just birth different capacities in people. Um, I will say this. Enjoy preaching. Enjoy it. That's good. Enjoy it. When you're discovering something in the word of God, discover it again when you preach it. You know that moment. Come on, you know that moment. If you've ever taught and all of a sudden you're seeing the argument of scripture go, it clicks in and you're just like, Lord. Sometimes it's an audible, like, wow. Have that moment again when you preach. Have that moment again when you preach. If you're preaching from that place, you're not preaching too long. So it's less length 
specificity and more you can feel it when you've gone past engaging and you can feel it when you've said the thing you've come to say and be okay that you said the thing you said the thing and any minutes too many past that and you are not saying the thing anymore <laughs> and people aren't you know does that make sense yeah yeah James, can I ask another question to that? So then, if, uh, I'm assuming you're lying. Yes. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> that was your first question. Yes. Um, what if, like, I, I guess, you know, a lot of this probably comes with time, but what if you're up there and you're preaching and you think you have, like, a brilliant point and it's, and it's like, you look at the crowd and it's, like, yeah. you just, like, brush past that really quickly? Do you, you know, that's where you get water balloons. <laughs> um, so much of that comes with just um, with just time and experience, and your skin will thicken to that. Um, there are t- you always have to be continually asking God, you know, guide me, even whatever you have on paper. Um, and sometimes there will be those moments where you'll just feel like, wow, the room is deadpan, but Lord, I have conviction that you told me to say this, and so I'm not sorry. Mm-hmm. And then there are other times when just in your wisdom, you pivot a little bit, and you maybe you, maybe you go forward, or maybe you shorten what you were going to have to say on that a little bit. And that, you will over time get better at reading those moments, or, or I mean even listening to God in those moments. And nobody does it perfectly. Nobody does it perfectly. Um, there, there is nothing you can do or no way you can prep that eliminates that happening. Um, cause sometimes people just come and they check out. Um, but yeah, it comes with time more with time. Yeah. Worst answer ever it comes with time. I used to hate getting that answer. Now I'm giving it. So anything else? So just to say. I know that teaching the word is a weight and it should be. And I hope that weight never softens or leaves you, but it is also such a privilege. And I don't mean that as a slogan. That's not a Hallmark card sentiment. I know, you know, there's nothing like the word of God being preached in power. Signs and wonders and a preaching of the word and the gospel goes forth. You missed the Signs and Wonders seminar. It was in the main auditorium. Sorry, this was the preaching of the word. But like, enjoy it. Don't rescind from it. If it's something that you have done for 30 years or you've done for 30 minutes, submit it to your eldership. Say, this is a passion of my heart. I'm just submitting it to you. I want to grow in it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. We don't ever have enough people We'll never have too many people who can preach and rightly handle the word of God. We're never going to be like, ah, ah, Peter, we don't really need you to do that. You know, it's not, we're good. No. So I hope, I hope today was helpful. And mostly I hope today was encouraging. And uh, I just, let me say, if you go forward and you want uh, more conversation or feedback, please come get my information. I will totally be honest with my mistakes, shortcomings, input, advice. Um, I'm not interested in being the guy. I'm interested in serving the God. And I want you guys to be equipped for that as well.